0: Today's episode is brought to you by Empower. It doesn't matter how much money you have, we all have money questions. Empower is here to answer those questions so you don't have to worry. Take control of your financial future with a real-time dashboard and real live conversations to empower what's next. Start today at Empower.com. This is The Political Scene, and I'm David Remnick. Staff writer Kelef Asane covers a lot of subjects for us. He writes about politics and sports and music, a lot of music. Recently, he met up with a legendary figure in hip hop, the front man and MC of Public Enemy, Chuck D. So I I met Chuck D. for the first time at this bar called the Ivy Lounge in Manhattan. Um, It was empty. It was during the day. They had cleared it out for us. And You know, I think I was expecting a slightly more stern person than the guy who walked in. Hi, how you doing? I'm Kay. Hey Kay, how you doing? Good Good to to see you again. I've seen you so much. me? Yeah, maybe, yeah. I'm so excited to sit down with you. you. Like a lot of people, I saw the Fight the Power video from 1989, directed by Spike Lee. You know, Chuck D and Flavor Flav and the other members of Public Enemy leading a march through Brooklyn. So Chuck D was 26 when the first Public Enemy album comes out. And almost from the beginning, he seemed like an elder statesman. He seemed like a big brother.
1: what i while black sweating in the
0: And he has this new documentary called Fight the Power, How Hip Hop Changed the World. You know, it's all about the, the connections between hip hop and the world around it, the culture around it, the politics around it.
1: The ingenuity of DJ Cool Herc was the spark that ignited this beautiful art form called hip-hop. When I listen
0: to Public Enemy now, I hear it as protest music in a double sense. I hear it as protest music against, you know, the state of the world, but also that there's an internal protest, a sense that Public Enemy is protesting what's going on with hip-hop. But one thing that I noticed when I watched the documentary and even more when I talked to him, he seemed to be more focused on potential what he mainly sees is the hope of all the things that hip-hop might yet still become do you remember when you first got a sense in new york city that something's happening something new is happening these kids are doing some sort of new music this thing called hip-hop is bubbling
1: yeah of course the technical aspect i thought like why they need two turntables in case one breaks down but when I heard it, it's like, okay, you got mixers. What the hell's a mixer? I know uh-huh. what a cake mixer is. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I, I, like anybody else, was naive. And this person also on the microphones is doing a little bit like the presenters do on AM radios, playing black music, WBLS on the FM dial. Before that, WWRL played all the black music in the city mm-hmm. and the surrounding metropolitan area. And it was a small 1600 bandwidth station at the end of the dial. And they'd be like, Gary Bird, 1600 on the WWRL dial. Come on, this is LTD. And he'd be like, wow, man. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Mm -hmm. ( pawns) From WWRL, New York, Progressive AM in the Apple. And I'm Gary Bird from the GB Experience. (im) Gary Bird was a person that I grew up with twice, growing up with him playing music on WWRL. Mm -hmm. Later on. Gary Bird hooks up with Stevie Wonder, they end up being friends. Stevie Wonder produces a song for Gary Bird called The Crown, Mm. where Gary Bird is actually like a 16-minute dropping bars about our brilliance as as human beings and as black folk. Well, Stevie Wonder does that, and it's a Motown rap record in 1982. Mm. Never gets talked about. So we'll talk about it right here. (laughs) you' be Welcome to Cosmic University where life is the journey and love is the trip and the study of band will make you here. I'm professor of the rock band when I speak, I
0: guarantee that my lines will not be weak. They say our mind is a terrible
1: thing to waste. That's why
0: I'm here and on the
1: case. At that particular time, you know, hip-hop was emulating all this with the great voices, yeah. playing great music, going from the ones and twos. Being able to, you know, bring that noise to the people. So I came up in all that.
0: It's a four-part hip-hop documentary on PBS, Fight the Power, How Hip-Hop Changed the World. Why is that important for you for that to be your focus? How hip-hop changed the world?
1: Most important word in that is world. Hmm. I've been in 116 countries over 38 years, so I have seen the changes And have people come to me with different languages, although I can't interpret not one other than the king's English, unfortunately, (laughs) which is my biggest regret. But people have made their way to say, Chuck, this is what this art form has meant to me in all continents, except for Antarctica and parts of the Arctic.
0: There's a quote from you in the documentary. You say, the pioneers in the beginning, they could have easily rapped about the real things that's right in front of them, guns, guns drugs infiltrating New York City in 78, 79. And they said, you know what? It's no way that's going to be popular. We want to keep the party going.
1: Yeah. Not that they wanted to commodify it into something that's going to just quickly, just like, it's got to be popular so I could get money. Yeah, they wanted to make money to get up out of there. Right. But I think it was one of those things, it's like, Okay, everybody knows them damn stories. What's our escape route? We right. want to have escapism. We want to take this spaceship up out of here. Beam me up, Scotty, fast.
0: <laughs> did you feel like you wanted to join this hip-hop movement that was happening? Or did you feel like you wanted to redirect this hip-hop movement?
1: That I was wanted happening? to curate, present, navigate, teach, and lead the hip-hop art as making it something that people will revere just like Grant Wood, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I was educated in the arts ever since I was a little kid. My mother started Roosevelt Community Theater in 1973 in Roosevelt. I was under Frank Frazier's tutelage as an art teacher in 1972 in Roosevelt. I go to Adelphi University to become a commercial artist, but as what? I had no idea. Hmm. I definitely wasn't going to go into architecture. And I I wanted to become a renderer, and the music led me to the point, even if I got kicked out my first year at the freshman year at Adelphi, I actually got back in because all of a sudden hip-hop records came out, and I said, wow, I could be in the music business as a hip-hop illustrator, art department, Hmm. album jackets, advertising. Wow, okay. And that Hmm. got me through the rest of Adelphi where I graduated Dean's list in 1984. So hip-hop as an idea got me through college. Elvis was a hero to most, but he Elvis was a hero to Mount Elvis was a hero to mouth, but he never meant. To me, if he's straight out racist, the sucker was simple and played. Already I'm hype for some amp. Most of my heroes don't appear in no stamp. Fine,
0: I think a lot of people nowadays might not realize just how radical Public Enemy was when you came out.
1: Why would I count them? <laughs> if they don't realize it, it's like.
0: But I don't just mean radical compared to America, I mean radical compared to what else was happening in hip hop at that moment.
1: You have to take a long survey of what was happening in hip hop to make a comparison. Right. It's not an art form that could be really easily thrown to you in four part series, and you get it all. So, if we were able to repeat the context of public enemy, how could you talk about being in the middle of a decade where communities are destroyed by r and b? It's Reagan and Bush, COINTELPRO Pro, crack and guns, you know what I'm saying, drugs and guns. Um at that time when we started out, Nelson Mandela was in prison in South Africa. Margaret Thatcher was running the UK, and Gorbachev's Soviet Union was teetering on the brink of disaster, politically, worldwide, and this was trickling down to like, damn, can we actually be humans too? Public Enemy was kind of like, okay, I'm making records, I am the voice of, in the middle of this, but at the same time, I'm bringing a community with me. Mm -hmm. And that was my role to actually lead a whole community even a community that's juxtaposed and not getting along with each other. Right. You know, being able to be that voice of um maybe some reason. I got a letter from the government. The other day I opened and read it and said they were suckers. They wanted me for their army or whatever. Picture me giving a damn. I said never. Here is a land that never gave a damn. See, number one, rap was able to use more words. Yeah. In a shorter distance of time. Yeah. Singing, I mean, I'm bad on lyrics. I still don't know what the hell a lot of songs are saying. Right. I can't make out the lyrics. And nobody seemed to ever say that, yeah, well, you know, everything else in popular music is unintelligible because they happen to sing their words instead of speak their words. Well, hip-hop and rap happens to damn near speak their words.
0: And there's like a justification thing that happens in hip-hop where there's this sense of, who were you? Who were you to be talking to me? And so rappers would say, "This is this who I, who I am. am."
1: Let me tell you who I am. It's the first rejection of the slave name. Hmm. You know, it's like you know I can't call myself Malcolm X, but you know what? I'm Chuck D. That type of <laughs> thing. You know what I'm saying? I'm KRS-One. You know, I'm not Chris Parker. Right. And the rejection of the slave name was really the socio-political thing that that white folks in America, when you tell them that, they like. I didn't even know that. I didn't even think of it that way. Hmm. Well, number one, you didn't have to. But if you want to understand the page of where we're coming from, being called somebody else is number one on our brains or something that we're trying to change. Hmm. And when I call myself something else, you find difficulty in it.
0: In 1997, in your book, you wrote, Right Now. Rap is being used in a way that's negative to the existence of black people. Yeah. Why did you feel that way?
1: Because the curators were failing and it was dropping the ball, explaining what it could do and actually put things in the right context in place. Hmm. I'm 37 at the time. And I saw people say, well, we could grab the lowest hanging fruit and just to get the eyeballs in order for me to make a living with it. I'm like, damn, all right? Hmm. So me, I have a firm belief is like, spectacle gets you interested and get you in the building, it don't keep you there. Hmm. Spectacular keeps you there. Matter of fact, spectacular keeps you coming back for more. Hmm. The rock guys understand that. I was with Prophets of Rage four years. Every night we got to stand an ovation hmm. and, and rock hard as hell. I'm not saying it never happened in the rap world. It's just that it's been groomed differently. Hmm. You know. I mean, in the rock world, man, people come back and back and back and back the promoters take it seriously. Mm-hmm. The black thing, the promoters always felt, yeah, if we could get a lot of money for it, we don't know how long it's going to last. And we'll we'll take this headache money and if it burns out, burns out. It's disposable, cool, we'll get the next one to replace it. Uh, I think that's been a disservice to the art form and I said that in, at 37 years old in 1997 and clearly we've seen
0: but it's also if you go back and when I think about the mid to late 90s, I think of that as another golden age for hip hop. I think of that as the Jay- golden
1: corporate age.
0: But I think of that as the Jay-Z era, the Missy Elliott era, the Outkast
1: era. You're giving me, you're giving, well, with the exception of Outkast, you're giving me a whole bunch of individuals. Mm-hmm. Around the turn of the 90s, the record companies and corporations felt they could reduce the culture's elements down to one, which mm-hmm. is the emceeing mm-hmm. on... A record mm-hmm. so you removed the other elements d j and that was removed um the dance element was removed, art element was removed. you got m c okay, they make a records. The biggest change is when they seen that the downsizing from collectives into solo acts is what probably was the biggest change, and because that wasn't handled or managed correctly, mm-hmm. hip hop became a whole bunch of soloists. Hmm. In the 90s, because it was easier to renegotiate with one person than a group. (laughs) Therefore, if you name your best groups out of 2,000, you name it individuals. You name your best groups out of the 80s, you name it groups. Destroy a collective.
0: But part of that, I think, is because rapping is so powerful. I mean, when I think about Public Enemy, there's so much going on. But I think about you and your voice and Flavor Flav's voice and these... Incredible tracks. So of the well, stuff yeah, that okay, that's
1: a, yes. You sitting home and thinking, but if you saw us performing, which is performance is always the extension of art anyway, hmm. you ain't just seeing me stand on a mic and, and and fucking spitting bars. <laughs> so I think this documentary raises hmm. the bar over the bars. Hmm. Hip hop is all the panoramic elements and, and, and motion. You know, you got sight, style, sound, and story. Mm. Those things, when they circulate, that's what you have something that people say, I'll come back to year, for years and years. One MC spin bars over beats, man, it's like it, that's when it comes down to a point where anybody could do it. Mm. You got it right in the studio, you practice that. You know, the studio's gonna make it right before it leaves, and they go out to perform it. And I'm like, well, they gotta go through a rites of passage just because they're a star without proving it. Mm. And the first thing I look for is they're going to run out of breath. They're not going to be able to do what they recorded. Number (laughs) three, all right, they're on a tour. They're going to lose their voice after the first three days because they're trying too hard. And then you'd be like, ah. In the rock world, you rehearse, and your first night, you better get it right, and you better not have any mishaps on the whole thing. To to go
0: back to the question that's kind of implied in the documentary about how hip-hop changed the world, how did hip-hop change the world? And did it change the world for the better?
1: Well, for the last 30 years, hip-hop's been in Africa and have surpassed uh, the natural skill set that we're accustomed to in the United States of America, but that's always the case. (laughs) If you pay attention to Africa, you know, the whole key is to make yourself feel better or superior is like, all you got to do is pay Africa no mind, like it don't exist. Mm. Like, you know what? It might have started over there, but we're not acknowledging it until it starts in the United States. And that's just, that's derogatory to the black diaspora. Mm. You cannot separate the black diaspora from black creativity in the future. So I've seen hip hop change the world many times over in places that's not just reduced to people under the construct of dark skin. I mean and Yugoslavia and ourselves and Ice-T saw a war stopped as we're doing a concert there in the ice arena and they stopped the war for one day in a Yugoslavian you know conflict between Croatia and Serbia and Montenegro and Slovenia. Next day they tell public enemy and Ice-T, alright, it's time for y'all to raise up out here because we're going to war tomorrow. Sure enough, we left over the borderline, boom, bombing over here. Wow. So hip hop has changed the world because they would look at fight the power and six in the morning as far as anti-authoritative, you know, conversation and applied it to their life, their language, their, their, their whole situation. So, yeah, we got another guide map based on black people in the United States, music and vibe to actually apply it to ourselves and our movement.
0: But isn't it interesting how things have flipped? How hip-hop used to be so divisive and polarizing. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. Radio stations would say, we play all the hits and no rap. And now here we are, and you're talking about the divisions in America. And sometimes it seems like hip-hop is one of the only things that just about everyone seems to like. I'll
1: say evolution. How can you not study evolution? I mean, it's like revolution starts out. Evolution what it evolves into. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean... Curtis Blow is revolutionary mm-hmm. Jay-Z is evolution he's an evolution the, the culmination of all these things that led up to him doing the great things that he does yeah. will it be evolution after Jay-Z sure there will be is this thing going to be called hip-hop or does it get termed into something else probably You know, we had jazz before everything was jazz. Right. And that's what we
0: expect is that things are going to change and mm -hmm. the era is not going to last forever. Mm -hmm. So how is the hip hop era managed to last for half a century?
1: 50 years is not long in real life. 50 years long in cultural life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very long. But in real life, it's like, yeah. But do you think Do you think 50 years from now,
0: two people might be sitting in a rooftop bar in a hotel talking about how did hip-hop manage to last 100 years?
1: Shit, you better be whole 50 years from now people will be sitting. <laughs> 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 I mean, really, let's go 10 years at a time. Okay. I'd like to take 10 more years of people understanding that they got to take care of the next generations, teach them. Take care of the planet mm. And I think hip-hop will is going to be there It's going to ride regardless I don't think hip hop's the thing that you ask to be around We want to ask for human beings to be around We want to ask for The way of life, peace, love, sharing To be around
0: Chuck D of Public Enemy He's a creator, along with his producing partner, Lori Bulla of Fight the Power, How Hip-Hop Changed the World. It's a documentary series now on PBS. And you can find Kelif Asane's writing on hip-hop and a wide range of other musical subjects and more at newyorker.com.